the strategy is culture or culture is the strategy. And mm-hmm. so for us, it's really about how do you build a culture as a church at, at all these various levels? How do you create a culture that is conducive to people having their lives radically transformed by an encounter with Jesus Christ, right? So that's that's the strategy. It's not it's not anything different than the strategy was for the apostles either. But um, yeah, that's, that's it's, it's been exciting to do that work about a year now. Yeah. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. This podcast is being released Easter Monday, so happy Easter. I've been praying specifically during Holy Week for the priests and bishops that I've had the honor of coaching, both now and in the past. Their openness to get support and learning to lead in new ways for the good of others and the church is heroic. My guest today is Tim Lemkowski, the president founder of Lalto Catholic Institute and the director of strategy at the Diocese of Denver. Tim's also the author of the book, Made for Mission. I'll have to get him back to discuss that book more because today's podcast is more about the impact modeling healthy culture can have to bring about a transformation at the diocesan level. Enjoy the conversation. Lift off and the clock has started. I have a friend named Kirk Clement who I worked with when I was at Divine Renovation. And one of the things that he is amazing at is introducing you to great people. And one of the people that he's introduced me to is Tim Glenkowski. Welcome to the show today, Tim. Thanks for having me, Ron. Yeah, good to, good to be with you and uh, good to get our tech issues sorted out. People have no idea what we've just gone through, but listen, it's for God's glory. And so I'm glad that we get to have this conversation. And you've transitioned to a diocesan role in Denver, the Archdiocese of Denver, as the director of strategy probably over a year ago. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what that title means and and really what it would cover just for our listeners? For sure. Yeah, happy to. So, yeah, I guess by a little bit of backstory, you know, so for um, a while, I'd worked in a couple of parishes, bigger parishes and evangelization type roles, and then had kind of just with some friends from uh, Steubenville, the Chicagoland area, um, not not on a whim, you know, there's probably more forethought than that, but I guess maybe following an inspiration, it just kind of founded an apostolate to work with parishes, you know, really passionate about renewal, renewal of the church, leadership, evangelization, all that stuff. And what does it really take to change the culture of a parish? And so I had founded uh, LALTO, Catholic Institute, maybe five years ago now. And um, that had been my full-time work then for a while. And it had been blessed to work on another project um, with amazing parish in the Augusta Institute out here in Denver called uh, Revive Parishes. And um, when the pandemic hit, it was really kind of praying through, you know, what God wanted from us. We got a really strong sense that there was a new season coming. You know, God was calling us to build his kingdom in a new way. And so that kind of dovetailed, connected with, I'd, I'd been asked by our Sunday visitor to write a book about some of the work we were doing with Lalto a couple of years ago. And awesome. that book book had gotten around the, the pastoral center here. And so I'd gotten in a conversation with Keith Parsons, our COO, and then uh, Archbishop Aquila as well about, um, they had been independently of that really kind of convicted about some of the same questions. How do you, uh, in a time of apostolic mission, right? In a change of ages that Pope Francis mm-hmm. talks about, how do you set up an archdiocese to, to, 
I don't know, be about the work of, of evangelization, about the work of making disciples, you know, preaching the gospel in that time. And so that led to kind of the creation of this role. So yeah, director of strategy, you know, is the title. And I kind of laugh sometimes because I get, you know, people either love it or they hate it, or they're, you know, like there's too much corporate stuff in it, or it's like, what does that even mean or whatever? Yeah. So I get a lot of um, comments on, but really what it means for us is uh, I think I've heard you say before um, the strategy is culture or culture is the strategy. And so for us, it's really about how do you build a culture as a church at, at all these various levels? How do you create a culture that is conducive to people having their lives radically transformed by an encounter with Jesus Christ, right? So that's that's the strategy. It's not it's not anything different than the strategy was for the apostles either. But um, yeah, that's that's it's, it's been exciting to do that work about a year now. Yeah. I love the definition. I love a couple of things about it. I love that, that your bishop and your COO read that book and went, who is this guy? Like, this, this is my kind of guy. And then go after you. And then literally, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that they were, they created a position that would allow you to do the very things you're passionate about and good at. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. So there was kind of the formation at that time. They're starting to build and form um, a strategic leadership team so that, yeah. that the archbishop could really lead out of. And the idea was to bring in someone who could help facilitate the work of that team. Um, and then, and then kind of, um, yeah, so it, 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 it was dovetailing with things they were already doing, but yeah, it wasn't something that already existed for sure. So Tim, what is it that's going on right now when you look at your diocese? Like, so you have this passion, you have this years of, of working in, in, in this apostolate that you created, uh, doing some amazing stuff with evangelization and, and then you, uh, get involved at the diocesan level, then I work with diocese. So I understand that that's not always easy. That's a difficult thing to, to change the culture at multiple levels. Um, but where are you seeing the the inroads, where, the breakthroughs? Can you share a little bit of what that's looking like for you? Yeah, I do think that there's been a, um, it's been a time of purgation for the church in some ways, the COVID time. And even if you think, you know, certainly, I don't know if the impact is neighbors to the north, but certainly the McCarrick scandal in 2018 was a, has been a very challenging time. You know, so since then, there's really been this, um, I think, uh, a humbling process in many ways of the church that I think has is, is leading to a lot of what I'm really seeing, I think that's encouraging, is like certainly this is the case here, is the, the renewal and the leadership is coming from the top. It's bishops who are saying, you know, we need to, um, we, we need to, we need to do this. We need to figure this out because our, certainly Archbishop Aquila here, and even in other places around the country I can think of that are, are, are really being led by um, I'm watching these um, apostles kind of um, it, it certainly awaken would almost be the wrong word. Cause it's, we've always been, you know, but it's, it's that it's a, it's been a clarifying moment for the church where it's like, this isn't just one thing. This renewal that's required isn't just one thing among many things, but it's the right. thing that we're being asked to do right now. So I think that's the most encouraging thing to me. What, what, what about you? What do you, what do you see as your, I mean, you see a probably a broader perspective. I'm, you know, seeing kind of one setting, but. Yeah, that's, I, I am seeing the bishops desire it more than ever. Um, I think it's hard. Like one of the things I see in diocese right around the world is, 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 is a, a level of disconnect between the presbyterate and the, and the, the chancellery. So there's seems to be some, deep-rooted mistrust all over the place. And I'm not saying that that's the case in your area, but if teams travel at the speed of trust, I think one of the things that needs to be worked on first is reestablishing trust 
And sometimes I, I find it's easier for people to move ahead with ideas or concepts or than it is to take the time needed to reestablish trust that will help us go further. And, and so that's what I'm seeing right across the board and, and to varying degrees. But um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Is that something that doesn't surprise you or is that something like, oh, that's too bad because we don't have that issue here? Or tell me a little bit about that. No, I think, yeah, I think it's, I mean, so Denver has been incredibly blessed. Like we have a, we have a really, um, all the things that have happened over the years that have kind of given us unique kind of, um, thing, you know, we have a great seminary. We've had World Youth Day was certainly a catalyst for a lot of local, a lot of great local apostolates. So we have, um, I would say we have a ton of, um, like a lot of the right stuff going on, but I think you're right where that, what we've been focused on is kind of some of more of those, like, um, I don't know, I guess people call them the soft skills, but I don't think there's such a thing as hard skills or soft skills or just skills, but it's almost those culture pieces of, like you're saying, trust where it's like, um, certainly we've been convicted about starting there where it's like, what we need right now is not just, um, uh, a, a new initiative or, but it's, it's to start first with, um, and I guess that's where I almost see this, like humbling, you know, kind of quality, um, in, in the churches, what it's like led to is almost our archbishop here kind of wanting to get, um, you know, with his presbyterate, we have about 330 priests in the archdiocese of Denver and really focusing on him in conversation with them. Like, how are we going to do this? You know, what does this look like? All right. Like he, the thing he's been saying over and over again is like, there is no plan. I don't have like a secret strategic plan sitting on a shelf somewhere where it's like, we're trying to, it's just kind of in, in, you know, um, in conversation together, like how do we, and so I think that has been a trust building exercise. Like, um, so I, I, it's funny to hear you say that. It's almost like, I don't, I don't know, like you, I feel like you're reading our minds or something like that. Cause that's where we've been really convicted about starting. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Huh. Well, good, good on you and good for you. And, and I love how you say conversations because it's in conversations that we get to hear each other's stories. And it's usually not until we know each other's stories that we start to fall in love with each other. Cause other than that, we'll judge each other by how we look, how we dress, where we live, uh, you know, all kinds of things because we are hardwired to make assessments. But boy, when we get to know each other's stories, that's a whole, that's holy ground. And so to be able to have the right kinds of conversations where we can start to, to know each other's stories, then we're more inclined to have each other's backs, you know, because in the absence of trust, we often look down on each other. We often think down and we fill in the blank of what we don't know with information that's not very flattering to the other person all the time. And so to be able to, and that's why Alpha is such a neat tool, is you sit and have dinner with somebody for 11 weeks, no matter how weird you think they are on day one, uh, probably by week three or four, you're actually falling in love with them. And by week seven, you start to hyperventilate because the course is going to be over and you're not going to have a reason to see them anymore. And you really, really care about them because we're hardwired to care for each other. Like there's God's given us a spiritual glue when we take the time to have conversations and learn each other's stories. And so good on you guys for doing that. I think that's, that's challenging at a Dawson level, but it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think the temptation sometimes is to really have something to show for your work. You know, it's like, yeah. this is, here's the thing that we can prove to everybody that we've done our job or something. And I think if we're really convicted about making something that, but like you said, if we want to go fast, we can go alone. If we want to go far, we, you know, we, we can go together. So that's, it's, that's kind of the math that I think we've had to do. And yeah, with a, with an organization as complex too, the, the breakdowns yeah. are always in those communications where it's like, there's, you know, it, it's a weird 
entity uh, diocese. It's this, you know, there's usually this kind of like central administrative hub, uh, you know, a chancery, a pastoral center, we call it. And then like, you know, there's these outposts of the mission that are, you know, parishes and schools, and we're kind of all responsible for each other, but there's like the, the break, you know, what, what's the, what's the relationship actually like there's, there's so much unclarity sometimes in terms of how these relationships go that it's just like the breakdowns happen. So you're right. The only yeah. place you can start is not just, you know, communication sent from on higher but trust, you know, like yeah. actual, you know, um, opportunities to encounter one another. So, um, yeah, but it's, 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 it's tricky. It is tricky. And, and I love, I love how you articulated the complexity of it because it, it really is true. It, it is not as easy as people think, you know, when I think about 330 priests and, and, and your Bishop entering into conversations and really with the presbyterate and, and letting them know, listen, I don't have any aces up my sleeve. Like, let's work this out together. Let's have this conversation. I, I, I look at that and I think about that and I think there are go there are people who are apostolic by nature and they're ordained priests and they're just dying to innovate, try crazy things, not crazy things, but new things that would get better results. And and so in and then there there are your pastors who are 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 more shepherding and the caring for the flock and healing people and 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 so these different charisms are going to go at different paces and and these different charisms have different levels of comfort around risk. And it's almost like for a bishop to be able to say, it's okay to fail. It's okay to try new things. And I understand you're going to get complaint letters about you and stuff. And, and, and the quality of a priest's impact isn't based on how many complaints they get, but you know, if they understand the mission, we're on, we're in, we're unified in mission and there's this freedom to innovate and try new things because if 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 the leader doesn't have a plan but knows we need to go from here to there somehow and people are willing to go and be a part of that with him then we need to have a culture where people can try new things they can take risks there's freedom to fail but again that requires trust cuz you know but if we do that i think we're going to get there faster but if we all try to go at the exact same pace, that's going to frustrate the apostles. And then the laggards, they're, they're never going to go anyway. And so, and we have that in every large group of people. You know, we have the early adopters, the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards. And whether they're ordained, not ordained, Catholic, not Catholic, business, religious, doesn't matter. And so to be able to let those new, those early adopters and innovators loose. And, and they'll go ahead and forge some paths. They'll pioneer and they'll probably make some mistakes. Well, they definitely make some mistakes. And in those mistakes, they'll probably find new ways of, of leading communities that unleash the gospel and generosity and transform lives. And that's, that's what we need, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Vision, I would say, what's the vision and then enough clarity to empower local creativity and then permission to fail. You know, how yes. do you, cause I, and, and, and I think there was a, a Fran Mayer uh, was a long time kind of um, a, a chancellor here with um, Archbishop Chaput and he had an article maybe last fall or something. And I didn't actually get a chance to read the whole thing, but I remember the title was someone has to be dad. And I think it was about the role of, of the Bishop, but yeah. that's it where it's like, if culture isn't like, um, if Archbishop Aquila is not the one saying that there's going to be suspicion around whether or not we really mean, it. but 
but if 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 they're hearing it from the leader, and that's what creates um, that culture. I think even in unhealthy cultures where there's suspicion, yeah, lack of trust, like there's kind of the reason innovation doesn't happen is because of that 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 free um, fear of failure and like what's going to, and even eventually, I think that that ends up tending to quelch the who would otherwise be the innovators, early adopters, and high performers because they get kind of they get broken down by the culture because it's like you know what, what what's the point what's the point of speaking up what's the point of trying something different where I'm just going to get kind of uh, even if it's even if that didn't happen, there's just a a sense or, or a um, those mindsets kind of can become um, pervasive or those worries or fears. So I think that's very much where we see um, right, we've been kind of as we've been praying. So we we our leadership team we've kind of adopted as our what do we do is we pray and discern you know how God is calling us to lead transformation in this apostolic age. And one of the things we've been really hearing is is that where it's like if we can give that vision and that and 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 just it, instead of that and a more prescriptive I think a lot of people would would agree with you there because it's often not in the planning, it's in the executing. And and culture can really chew up our ability to execute over and over again. Well, and I love that you guys are leading out of a team and praying and discerning together. And I think at the local level for priests, when they learn to lead out of a team, that can really give them the support they need to to see past angry letters or angry parishioners. Because honestly, like people know we need to change. They know we need to evolve and find new ways of doing things. And they're intellectually completely on board, but as soon as you begin to change the things that they like or that their preferences um, would lead them to, it gets pushed back. And so it's challenging. But I think sometimes when we work out of a team, maybe we can make better decisions around how we communicate so that we're communicating the why, just not the what and the how, uh, that we can be communicating vision and not just one thing at a time. And so I think all those things can help because to be honest with you, I don't know how a pastor or a bishop could do it without surrounding themselves with people who have that same passion and faith in Jesus and call to to be as fruitful as possible. Yeah, so we've been doing. I 100 agree. We've been doing these. Um, we're calling them pilots, like mission pilots, where we're working with kind of. Um, you know, right now we're working with three, I think we're going to be launching another one soon of intensively from the diocese, just kind of getting on the ground with a few pastors and parishes that we thought were ready to run with us from a variety of different situations, you know, not just picking one kind of um, situation. And the goals are kind of a few, we want to learn, you know, like try things and learn and innovate and, and do different things, but also to actually start to watch, you know, fruitfulness happen in, in motion. And that's been our first step with each pastor is to say, who is that leadership team that's going to be gathered around to work through this with you? Cause it's all those things Like you said, the circumspection of having that team in different perspectives, but, but also the, the kind of the, the, the courage that develops from, um, and, and what I think sometimes pastors need to know is like those angry letters, like that's not just a Catholic problem. That's change everywhere. That's leadership everywhere. Like whenever you start trying to change things and everything, like it's not like just um, organizations constantly need to be changing, to be scanning the horizon and looking for opportunities, you know, in in, in the business world or, or in the church world, right? Like we're not only being called to um, align more readily with the mission of the gospel because of the decline of numbers in giving or like, this is just what, this is just what it takes to like have a healthy organization that's actually going to be able to um, 
you know, do what Jesus has asked us to do, right? Which is make disciples. So um, I think that's sometimes, but those messages are are harder to hear in isolation. Like if you can, like you said, it softens the blow to have the team be like, well, we committed to that decision. We, we, we rolled it out. We got, we got some bad feedback. We've also gotten some positive feedback and we're going to own that kind of together. Like no one can take the responsibility for that from the leader. You can't, right. You can't, you know, but it can soften the blow. Like the leader is always going to be the one that's going to get the angry letter, but all of you together committing to it can say, no, you know what, father, that was the right decision though. And that can, help that follow through that commitment kind of keep going. Amen. So true. And then too, we can own, we can own stuff together because sometimes as a leader, you'll beat yourself up. And and then, but if you got people around you that help make the decision, I wouldn't let you beat yourself up. It's like, no, no, father, we did think that was the right idea. And you know what, as we look at it now, maybe we did make a mistake, but it wasn't your mistake. It was our mistake. And so it's our group discernment that led to that. And so that it, it goes both ways, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. That's yeah. so beautiful. Now I know you guys have done some like divine or um, amazing parish. I was going to say divine renovation, but yeah. amazing parish has been in Denver to run a con one of their big conferences and, and you're also, you mentioned earlier before we get on, on air that you're doing some work with Acts 29. So tell us a little bit about some of the, some of the help that you're getting or some of the influences that are impacting Denver right now. Yeah. So it's it, amazing. Parish has been, is a local apostolate. They, they um, work out of the same building as the Augustine Institute here in our tech center. And um, some local leaders were, you know, ones who really kind of helped to, to launch that with, um, with Pat who, uh, Lencioni, who's from, yeah. Um, uh, more of the Oakland area, but he, um, yeah. So the, the first conference or the first couple conferences were here locally and a lot of our parishes went through them, but it's been cool where as they've really clarified their vision on, um, you know, the earlier conferences were more kind of like sweeping in terms of, um, you know, certainly focusing on healthy teams, but also a lot of other stuff. And they've really realized like, no, 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 what we need to start with and kind of hammer is this, pastor leading out of a healthy team, the, the disciplines of those teams, the, the potential pitfalls, the meetings, all like all that stuff that goes into kind of a healthy organization and, and, and doing that. So we've had a lot of pastors actually go back where, you know, they went to the first one and now it's like, well, no, I, I actually need to really drill in on that. And so I'm going to go so that we had pastors going to the one in Kansas city. You know, we've had pastors go to the one, uh, there was in Anaheim a couple of years ago. So that's actually been cool to see. And then, yeah, us as a diocese have been being coached since um, November by um, Acts 29. So father John Ricardo and uh, some of his team, Nick Jorgensen and Rick pop in particular, two of their um, kind of head uh, lead coaches and a lot of the, their focus you know, at least initially has been, well, and this is their vision kind of in general, but certainly over the last, you know, uh, eight months or so with us has been on us as a team. Like, how do we model this? Cause like you said, if every pastor should be doing this, it's going to be a lot more effective for, for, you know, if they're seeing us model that and actually live <laughs> yeah. that out. So how are we doing that? Um, and, and they have this cool principle too, where it's like, it's not enough to be a staff. You need to be a team. And then they actually say, it's not enough to be a team. You actually need to be a family. Like there's this biblical oh. principle of family that even captures if, te- again, if team in your mind is that, you know, you're thinking we're just pulling stuff from the business world. Well, how about family? 
And, and what can families accomplish in terms, you know, because we get that, we hear that a lot from pastors, right? And I think it's a justifiable concern where it's like, are we just borrowing best practices from the corporate world and trying to, you know, impose them on uh, a parish model? And does that make sense? And it's like, well, no, like these are kind of universal, uh, universally true, you know, kind of principles that just, it, it, it's it's going to go better for you. If you can actually have a healthy uh, conflict with people on your team or staff, it's going to go better for you. I, you know, that's not, that's not a business. I don't know. That's just like a life thing, you know? So th- th- there's, but, but, you know, if, if for, for that's certainly a, a something that you have to you know be aware of and tentative to respond to. So um, modeling that, and then really father John came and did our uh, convocation in, in April. And then um, a focus on, uh, you know, kind of the, the priests, especially those innovators, early adopters, those are kind of ready, willing, want to raise their hand and say, you know, how can we really move that, um, move that forward? I think that's a big part of their emphasis too, which is, it's certainly, I know, you know, one of yours as well, which is like, if we can't start with the minds and hearts of priests, uh, you know, and certain their own, you know, um, spiritual, uh, kind of, you know, uh, needs and formation, but also their, you know, mindsets and visions and what they're predicating to do in their mm-hmm. parish, but then also supporting them in doing that. Like we're going to have a hard time actually getting traction doing anything. So that's what they've really been helping us do, uh, this year. And it's been great. It's been, yeah, really a beautiful, I, I sense a lot of, you know, it's kind of amazing how many you talk to different people and you're like, Oh, the, the, the Lord is saying the same things to a lot of different yes. people, you know? Um, so it's been beautiful. Definitely one of the biggest gifts of, of, of our work, working with them for sure. Uh, I love that. I love that principle of modeling it because so, so it's, it's frustrating if, if there's not a lot of trust and somebody's telling you what to do and you think to yourself, yeah, but they've never even done it. Like that doesn't make any sense. And so, but yet if you're modeling the same principles, the healthy principles that you're hoping others will be able to, to live out, all of a sudden there's integrity throughout the whole system. And that's what, that sounds like what they're doing. And I just love that because it's so much easier. You know, I, I, I love my dad. And I remember as a kid, he'd say, as he's smoking a cigarette, son, don't ever smoke. This is bad for you. It's like, <laughs> as I get my little Popeye uh, candy cigarettes yeah. and pretend I, of course you want to be like your dad, right? Right, right. <laughs> so it'd be about, you know, it's, that's not as helpful as, as maybe not smoking and then <laughs> warning your kids. And, and so be healthy is a great message to churches and, and like, what a great thing that you guys are seeking to live out that exact same health. Uh, that brings life and innovation and a culture that makes you really excited to get up in the morning and be a part of this family that has a mission and a purpose. Yeah. Especially if you can say I quit smoking, maybe, (laughs) you know, like I, I knew it was bad for me. And so, and that's like, so we're trying to build a, you know, a real culture of prayer at the the pastoral center. Right. And so like our team prays together. We pray for decisions. We, you know, take time to all pray together, talk about what we're praying. We just, we also just start all of our meetings with a, a holy half hour. Like we're not praying about anything particular. We just know we need to pray together, you know, like, yeah. so there's, there's kind of these rhythms of prayer that are built into our routines. And so I think when we, we have so much more credibility to go to other teams in our building and say, Hey, how are you living out like this? You know, kind of. But if that wasn't the case all the time, if not every senior staff meeting used to be, there's even, I think there's even more of a kind of pronounced um, thing where it's like, we're really, 
this is something we're we're trying to change or do differently. And if we're gonna go, we're, if we're gonna lead and go first in actually changing and doing it differently, I think that's been a powerful. And then even the the, the interesting thing about culture, like as you're kind of thinking about it, like the modeling stuff is. Some of the modeling has even happened, I've noticed, in just like personal relationships where it's like, you know, the way our CFO, Brenda, and I relate to each other in other meetings we have about other stuff it is a witness to other. Do you know what I, do you know what I mean? Yes, it's not even I just sure all the stuff that we're doing intentionally as a team, but it's kind of the stuff that's just where I think people start to notice like, oh, that's different. That's not how it's always been. So that's been powerful, too. I love that. You know. That's because the fruit of praying together is love and care and concern. And, and, and that shows up everywhere else and people do notice it. You know, what often happens with some of the churches I coach is their leadership teams become like family. Like they really, because they live out those exact same principles and people notice it. And if they're not careful at, at making sure they're percolating that into the other ministries they support, then it can be siloed by accident. And then other people can, can get jealous of it. So we have to be really good at not only experiencing it, but then bringing what we're experiencing into the other areas that we support because everybody longs for that. Mm. And so to make mm. sure that as we're doing that, give it away, like, mm. like give it away, be an encourager, be that instrument of change in the other areas that you support and the other teams that you find yourself a part of, like, give it away, give it away, give it away, because people, they do notice and they long for it. Um, yeah. Wow. I love that. Uh, yeah. I think that's really, yeah, that's, that's very uh, astute. I think that's, I think that's very true. That's very true. Yeah. Love that. And so what other things do you see in terms of leadership and the impact that diocese is trying to have with the other par- the parishes that you guys support? Like, how are you aligned to, to help pastors kind of embrace leadership? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's been interesting for me coming in to, so a lot of our focus with Lalto, and, I, and I'm still very convicted about this. Like, I think if everything we're doing is not ultimately about the fact that we're trying to make disciples and understanding how we do that, we're not doing anything. We're just like, Amen. we're just kind of spinning our wheels. So it's like, that's the mission of the church. Everything else is going to help us do that better. Um, but it's been fascinating where from this vantage point, as I've gotten you know um, into this role over the past year, the leadership and culture stuff has become um, so clearly to me, like the, um, I don't know, almost like the first wound that needs to be addressed or the first, or conversely, the first strength that needs to be adopted in order to, to mm-hmm. really move forward. And um, a lot of that has been just through um, mindsets. Like we've kind of been focused on uh, kind of our, our rallying cry, our thematic goal right now is like, how do we help put on an apostolic mindset and all these different kind of parts of, of the diocese? Cause it's like, um, you, you know, uh, getting um, different, you know, whether it's the pastoral center or lay leaders or whoever pastors or whatever, getting them to like understand and buy into that vision for church life has been kind of our first um, priority where it's like, we're, yeah, we're doing the pilots. We've got this cool initiative coming with focus where we're helping a few pastors. Our few pastors are working with focus to kind of build out multiplying discipleship initiatives in their parishes. So there's some like practical, you know, parts of this that we've, we've started to implement in terms of like accompanying or walking more closely with pastors and actually helping them execute. But it's kind of been fascinating where 
the thing that's been happening more often than not is um, as we've started to lead with that, let's change mindsets, you know, um, first, and then kind of like um, move from there is I've started to hear from a ton of pastors back where it's like, or, or, you know, I'll hear from them, Hey, how can we do this? Or can, you know, can you, what's some more insight here? Or, you know, so they've just been doing like, they've been doing these different readings and their deaneries this year, and then like discussing them, then bringing feedback back to the archbishop or, you know, certainly the convocation was a huge piece of it or some of our different messaging things at the presbyterate meetings and different, but it's a lot of it's just been focused on, on mindsets. And it's been amazing to watch the um, like, priests are smart, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like these are, these are, these are educated, talented, gifted leaders who have been leading organizations for a long time. And it's like, it's kind of incredible if you just kind of start like um, getting some of those, those mindsets or like the stuff that's just been arising has been um, kind of incredible to just step back and watch almost. And it's like, Oh, this is, this is better than me having to individually, you know, drive everything. (laughs) I can see how you would get great joy and pleasure out of that. And so mindsets before methodology, like changing hearts, transforming hearts, transforming minds, because the methodology can shift and and it will shift. But as people begin to think like leaders, boy, you've, that changes everything. It changes everything. Yeah. And it is, it is doing that. It's kind of the wild. Now there's, there's some stuff, you know, I, I think I, I continue to see places where we can provide even closer accompaniment and focus, you know, like I know you had Calvin um, Mueller on the podcast I saw and like some of the stuff they're doing in Omaha, I'm just, is, I think is so kind of inspiring and incredible. So there's, there's room for us to grow. Like we're still early days in terms of what we're doing um, as far as this kind of, you know, um, renewed focus, but um but already seeing that kind of uh, impact. I was just talking the other day to a, a parish nearby who's hiring uh, or, or kind of elevating a, a, an internal position to more of like a um, strategic kind of, you know, management type um, job. I forgot exactly what they were calling the title, but it was kind of that idea of someone who could really, you know, walk um, with the pastor to kind of help him drive his vision and stuff like that. And it was just like, this is cool. It's just to, just to see, you know, and they, I, I just like found out about that. It wasn't even like they were, um, so it's been really help, inspiring. But yeah, right. It's yeah. just like, Oh, they're just running. They're great. Go run, you know, go do it. Well, again, there's that, that culture of freedom to innovate and try new things, which is what your Bishop is trying to foster. And so good on you guys. Like, like that's so beautiful. Yeah. Well, maybe I could ask you while, while we're on the horn, you know, if we're having a conversation, you know, so building culture, right. That's a huge kind of emphasis for us right now. And one of the things we really want to do is build a pastoral center culture that can really serve parishes, you know, that can be like servants of the servants and, and have that, um, you know, kind of, uh, culture here. I'd be, I'd love to hear kind of, and maybe it might benefit some of the listeners as well. You know, if I can, I can get a little mini Ron Huntley coaching session while we're at it. Like, (laughs) what do you think are kind of some of the key levers in terms of, you know, building, uh, like, uh, culture, um, in that way from a diocesan perspective, from a diocesan perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first thing is who's your customer, you know, who's your customer. And, 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 and so my perspective is from a diocese, it's your pastors. It's not the people in the pews and it's not even the people that don't go to church yet. That is our collective Number one client is the people that don't know Jesus yet. But um, I see, personally, I see 
the pastor as as the number one customer for the number one client for the for the diocese. And if that's the case, then their success, making them amazing, is is as a diocese's primary purpose. Mm. And and it doesn't mean there's lots of secondary purposes, but because it's the local parish when on fire has the biggest chance of impacting thousands of lives for Mm. salvation. Like, I Mm. mean, I get so excited about the local church and, yeah, I remember a number of years ago talking to a bishop and he says, yeah, I evangelize. I'm, I'm always evangelizing. I said, oh, yeah, how do you do that? You know, well, I do the confirmations. And every time I do a confirmation, I speak about their need for people to come to Jesus. And I think, good, that's an evangelistic homily. But if that's your if you're, that's your diocese idea of evangelization, you're in big trouble. Because uh, yeah, interesting. You haven't mobilized anybody. You're right. speaking evangelistically in your homilies. Mm. But how do we mobilize people? And so when I think about the culture, it's it's really who are the people that God has gifted me with? And I, it's the same thing in a parish. Like a lot of times with parishes, we'll start leadership summits. And, and sometimes they'll say, yeah, but we don't have the right leaders. Like we just got people that just do scheduling and they don't take any ownership and they've been doing it for 20 years. And it's like, no, no, work with what you have. Like, Give thanks to God for what you have. Honor those people for the work they've done. They've probably never been invested in in their entire lives in your church. Mm. And so instead of casting them to the side and getting people that you think you might get along better with or have more better jobs, no, honor the people you have and give them the opportunity to rise up to something amazing and do whatever it takes to get them from here to there. Be that guy. Mm. And, And then if some of them decide that, hey, this isn't for them, and then you can help them find replacements. But honor who you've been given. And I think the same is true for, for a diocese, like honor the people that God's entrusted with you, but lay down your life, let lay down your life for them and call them to be great and do be willing to do whatever it takes to get them from here to there. Because if they believe that, that you mean what you say, that changes the water on the beans. If, if, if they believe you love them, you care for them, and you're willing to do whatever it takes, then some of them will get up and they'll do some crazy cool things because they know they're loved, cared for, and they know you mean what you say. And so often I've seen dioceses try to go around the priest and, and yeah. go, and like because there's not a great relationship there. Maybe there's been some hurt or disc, and I get that. Like, But we need to step into that woundedness and, and try new things and because uh, you know the old adage, nobody knows, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. Well, the same is true for for leaders, leaders leading leaders. And so, to me, I think can we can we make our priests' wild success our number one joy? And mm. I just you just gave a wonderful example of it of of that priest elevating somebody on staff to a different role to have a bigger impact with them and you're just saying how happy that makes you that's exactly what i'm talking about yeah 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 rejoicing in those things and and finding ways to be grateful and thankful and that's what the leadership summits do they're designed in parishes to inspire encourage and equip leaders and most churches don't do any of that for their leaders. They invite people to take on roles and they stay there forever. But it's like, well, what if you actually invested in your leaders? Well, that's, that changes everything. Yeah. 
Yeah. It changes everything. And I think the same is true. We can be so busy doing things that others expect of us that the people who are number one clients get treated like number 10 clients. Right. And then right. we wonder where the, why is the relationship bad? Well, it's bad because we didn't pay attention to it. We say it's important, but our actions don't support that. Yep. And so I think a lot of it has to do with the mindset of who's the most important customer and, and, and are we willing to lay down our life so that they can be amazing? And, and then that also needs to shift to structure. Then how are we structured? To, are we structured to do that? Yep. Yep. You know, are, are we aligning our resources to do that? And I'm not saying I'm right. This is just my opinion. Um, but, um, and, th- and that's what you and you talk about Omaha. That's one of the things that they've been doing is shifting to this coaching model, or, or I don't even think they call it a coaching model, but uh, accompaniment model. And, and to then to really raise up the staff to be able to do that. Cause that's not easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we don't have that skill set in the church really. And yeah. so they're creating it. And I just, and I see that happening in other dioceses too. And I think good on you. Um, it's a long road from wanting to be that person or that, that support to your priest to actually having the skill sets and the trust and the, and the confidence to be that person for your priest. Like that's years. Yeah. Right? And I like, see that in Calvin when I talk to him where it's like, he's like, he's yeah, there's, he's got the, um, the, yeah, the, the confidence, but also the competence to actually, and I think you're right. It probably didn't start, you know, he probably did cause he's Calvin, but like, you know, yeah, I think, yeah, it takes, <laughs> there's development that would be required. And yeah, I think what you're saying is, is very true where it's like, um, there's a, a, if the church is like a family business, almost, we almost, we, we, we sometimes adopt some of the bad parts of that where it's like in, in family businesses, sometimes, right. It's like you got the family restaurant and everyone's overworked because everyone, that's all they do all the time, right. Is work in the business. So there's that, there's that part of it. Right. Yeah, like, and we yeah. just expect these you know people to keep up like, because that's, we're all part of the family business and everyone just is expected to, but then there's the other side of it too, where there can be low accountability it's the family business. So we're just kind of, you know, and there's not a lot of, you know, um, development or whatever, but, but I think there's a switch there where if you see, um, if you really kind of, um, look at a, uh, I I think everything you're saying is very true. And then how does it drive kind of, um, uh, you know, the way you, you position yourself to actually be able to, to effectuate that, you know, that's, that's not a lot of often how we've, how we've done that. So it's, Mm. it, it requires change and, yeah. Um, and, and I love what I'm hearing from you when you're talking about Father John, Ricardo, you know, like, cause the other part of that is what's their vision, right? Like what's like God's, God called them to the priesthood. That's not a small call. That's a heroic call. And so great. Like then tell me your faith. Like I'll often ask priests to share their faith story. And a lot of them have, a lot of them have never told their faith story before. They've told their vocation story, mm. but nobody's ever asked them their faith story. Like, how did you come into a, a relationship with Jesus? And a lot of people say, "Well, I've grew up Catholic. You know, went to Catholic schools. Yeah, okay. But at what point did you care? At what point did you feel closest to Jesus that you knew God was so real? You, like, what was that moment? Mm. And like, oh, that moment." Oh, nobody's ever asked me about that moment. And yeah. I get them to talk about it. And I think, and that's, and I get them to share their stories with each other. And a lot of them say, we've never ever, ever told each other our, our faith stories. Mm. And I think that's a, cause I think that's holy ground. I think that's that burning bush moment. 
Yeah. And I think everything we do in the church, everything we do with leadership starts from that burning bush. Yeah. And, and so figure that, figure that out, have those conversations, share those intimate moments with each other, because boy, I'll tell you, trust starts there. Yeah. What a great way to establish trust. And then is what's God's call on your life? Like, what do you believe God is calling you to as a priest for your parish? Yeah. Because so often I see us as diocese just giving the vision and we need to have vision as a diocese. I'm not saying we shouldn't have vision. No, of course we should. Right. But it doesn't supersede their vision. No different than when I was at St. Benedict parish in pastoral ministries. And uh, you know, we had a vision for our parish, but when I'd meet with past with uh, leaders in, in ministries, I wouldn't say, here's our vision. How are you going to incorporate that? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Oh, what's your vision? Mm. You know, if your ministry is wildly successful in the next three years, what would it look like? What impact would it have? Yeah. What do you need to get from here to there? What's standing in your way? Yeah. How, what times, what, how have you innovated? I want to know their story, their vision. And then, and only then do I say, hey, can I share with you a few of the things that we're thinking about at the parish leadership level and how these things dovetail? And after I've listened, they're happy to listen. And then all of a sudden we find common ground, but I find so often it's like, I don't have time to do that. I'm just going to tell you what we do because we're the important people. Here's what we're doing. Uh, make sure you do stuff that kind of looks like that. Um, I got to go. Interesting. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's very, yeah, that's very true. I do. Yeah. That that's, um, and I think, and there's, that's a very Catholic idea too, where um, like the, the Catholic, the, the unity of the church is always preserved by its like diversity. Right. Like the, the, yeah. the, the, the fact that we all have kind of unique gifts and charisms and kind of, you know, the, the, the proliferation of orders in the church is kind of a sign of this, right. That there's kind of room in this one body for a lot of different yeah. ways of, uh, and so I think you're right for pastors, if we're not doing that for them, if we're not saying like, Hey, this isn't about a one size fits all, this is what the you know parish looks like, you know, but it's really about you as a leader and what God is called. Like, that's a powerful, very Catholic idea. I think yeah. I, I want to go, I want to go back to, to your point. It, it struck me to say, with the the idea of kind of, you know, um, different, like, you know, with talent and how do you manage talent or employees? There's a, there's a pastor I, t- I met recently who said he came into a new big parish and he said, um, I'm not going to just come in and I'm going to, I'm going to work with the people I have. He's like, at other parishes I've come in, fired everybody. And, you know, it's like year one, you make it through and then you fire everybody and then you hire all-star people. And then that's how you try to drive renewal. Right. And there's this funny thing where sometimes extremes touch, right. Where, sometimes we have a problem in the church where people stay in positions they're in for too long and they're not well-suited to the position, right? But then there's this other weird thing we do sometimes where we treat people very expendably and we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have a great HR culture sometimes. Like having worked at, at parishes personally, right? I can, I can personally attest to this, right? But it's like, we, we, we were, that's a really strange way to approach a person where you, you haven't done any attempt to actually really bring them along, to coach them, to give them vision, to, give, to empower them, to, to lead them. And, but you're just going to fire them because you don't think that they're well suited for something where I think you're right. I think there's a really strong sense of like, who is God sent here and how do we, and you're right. People will opt out. You'll say, this is yes. where we're going. And they're going to say, I can't go. I'm too tired. I, I, I don't want to go there, whatever. They're going to opt out. But, but there's a, there's, there's something more kind of, I haven't heard that said in a church context. And I think that's a really underrated, important message that leaders need to hear mm-hmm. um, in the church. 
I love that because I find well, what I've found is people surprise me. I remember years ago I started a, a Catholic Toastmasters club that just focused on speaking and leadership skills and and uh, and I because it was starting you get to pick your executive for all the different roles and I'm telling you Tim I picked all stars like this was probably the best executive ever in the history of 100 year history of Toastmasters right there in Moncton, New Brunswick. And every one of their skill sets were tailor made for those roles. And within six months, they were all gone, because they all of them let me down. Every one of them weren't showing up, didn't do what they said they were going to do, always too busy. And I was mortified because I was just trying to get something off the ground. And so then I had this ragtag group of members who just started, didn't know anything about Toastmasters. I didn't know anything about them and their skill sets, but there was a need. They stepped up and we knocked it out of the park. And I was so surprised. Like I would have taken that B team over that A team any day. I just didn't know who the B team was going to be. And I say B because I didn't know them. I knew these other people. And they let me down so bad and it's okay. They had things on their plate and life things. So it's okay. And, but I'm often surprised that when I go, when, when you work with people and invest in them, I often find I'm surprised at the amazing people that arise that I didn't know they had those kind of gifts, that kind of commitment, that kind of faith, that kind of openness to be teachable, that kind of tenacity to push through difficult times. And I just think, oh my gosh, every church has these people in it. It's so rich. But if I don't give them the chance, I'm never going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like, Along with that, there's a, there's a, um, we just don't have, um, this is where I'm so grateful for like your work and others where there's even, um, a sense of that that's even possible or that even there's so much false humility sometimes in lay Catholics. Cause it's like, but the, yeah, the stuff people can accomplish if they're actually led and like led to be leaders, not just led you know, like told what to do, but led into mentored. I don't know whatever word you, you probably have a good word for it, but like led in order to become leaders, but we just don't think that way about people. We have this culture of volunteerism where it's like yes. warm body into role. It takes five hours a week, go do it, you know? And um, that, that's a total paradigm shift for how we approach the really, like, I think what you're getting at is even more fundamental where it's kind of about like the mission and vocation of the laity. It's even more kind of, you know, than, than just like, um, there's a whole way of looking at, um, what's the point of, of lay people? Are we just supposed to pay, pray and obey or not? You know? Um, yeah. or so. do they have a mission? Did they have a call? Are they made to do something unbelievable? And that's my starting point. Right. Like my starting point is every single person I run into is made in the likeness and image of God to be amazing and to make an impact in this world. And I just don't know what it is yet, but boy, if I can uncover that, if I can help people step into the very person that God's created them to be, that is just so cool. Yeah. And, and to me, that's what church is all about. If, 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 if you're a member of our parish and you're not completely transformed in a year from now, we're not doing our job. Like I want to be transforming lives all day long, every day. I, just going to church is not the goal. Yeah. Like that is not the goal. I want to absolutely transform people's lives. And I take the same approach when I 
coach into diocese, like anybody that I spend time with, I just love them already. And I want them to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> right? when they are, their confidence grows, their impact grows, uh, their courage grows, their ability to take risks grows, their trust grows, their ability to collaborate grows. Everybody wins. You and, say something interesting there with uh, the love thing of like, go, like loving people already. I think that's a really important leadership principle where I was reading Henry Nowen's, um got a book called um, The Way of the Heart. It's like for spirituality of, of leaders, kind of. And he talks about there in one of the first kind of few chapters that one of the main things that leaders have to pray against is anger. Um, that he says there's a boiling anger sometimes in many pastors and leaders in the church where, you know, because people are mad at their leaders and leaders are mad at their people for not following and for not leading. And like, everyone's just mad at everybody, right? And you have to intentionally, and I, but I think it's possible to do that where you're trying to change people because you're mad at them, not change people because you love them and want more for them. And that's a, that's a really, I mean, you've been in leadership positions and right? you've probably felt that temptation where it's like, but that's a critical distinction. I think that for me has been very powerful as I've, I've kind of been praying my way through that book. Um, and let's say, all right, Lord, in what ways does that slip into my heart, but in, in the church too. So, um, yeah. yeah. That's wise. How can I be curious and said, uh, cause I find myself, I'm constantly kicking my own butt, like for being judgmental or jumping to conclusions or not listening well. And, and then I miss out and, and I come to the wrong conclusions. And, but when I can be curious in the face of people who don't might see things very differently than me or might be frustrated with me or when, when I can be curious because oftentimes somebody's angst or resistance is often rooted in something very noble. Mm. And can I listen to find that nobility and can I honor that and call that out and understand it? Cause if so, I'm going to be better because of it. But if when I'm rushed or don't have time, I can, treat people almost like a utility. Like I don't have time for you. I don't have time for this. You know, and I, and I, anytime I catch myself functioning out of that space, I, it, I always disappoint. It's always disappointing to catch myself there yet again, because when I do take the time to listen and be curious, there's a, a an awful lot of good people in our parishes and and I need to take the times. So that's why this new role, we were just talking offline beforehand. I have a, uh, went going to a new church, St. Ignatius in Bedford. I'm just so excited for all the new people I'm going to meet and, and, and what God's going to do in and through these relationships as we begin to build them. Um, yeah. I've, I've had conversations before with, with pastors where, um, you know, with Lalta where it's, we're putting together this leadership team for them. And they're like, I don't have these people here. Like you're describing to them who would be a good fit. And they're like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I have. It's like, no, no, you do. I promise you, you do. You just, don't, we haven't seen it yet. You don't know, like, or, you know, whatever. And there's no judgment there either, you know, but that's sometimes um, I, I'm with you. I think that, I think they exist everywhere. Um, it's just about bringing, you know, the best out of, of people. Yeah. And, and, and I think the definition I heard of leadership, I forget who said it. I promise you it wasn't me, although I've said it so many times. I'm starting to think it was me, but I know it wasn't. I'm just joking. Uh, but leadership is the gift that went done right allows all the other gifts to flourish. And I just love that definition. 
Because that very definition right away says it's not about me. It's about mm. everybody else. And if I, uh, Zig Ziglar was an American salesman guru, and he used to have cassette tapes. And, and I used to listen to them years ago when I was in sales. And he, he'd always end his segment with, you'll get out of your, you'll, you'll get out of life what you want when you just help another, enough other people get out of life what they want. So in other words, Take the focus off yourself, just help other people, and you'll be surprised how good your life is. And I think, what a great principle. That guy must have been a Christian. <laughs> Isn't that one of the funny secrets? All these guys, all these leadership kind of guru people, they're all Christians. You know, it's like all the ones that, because you just take these principles of the gospel and, you know, it's like, these. this is how humans work. So, you know, like, yes. here's the logic of reality that we're just, you know, that has been revealed by God that we're giving to you. And Yeah. I think that's, uh, I'm sure he was. I think I actually have heard that he was because I think that I would listen to a John Maxwell podcast. He was talking about Zig Ziglar. Okay. Uh, maybe, I don't know, but yeah. Well, even Ken Blanchard, the one minute manager, that whole franchise, just such great material. And he became a Christian later on in life. I think Bill Hybels uh, brought him to faith and cool. evangelized him. And, and, and as he started reading scripture, he was, he said, I thought I came up with all these ideas. I thought these were all original thoughts. And as I read the Bible, it's all in here. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. And so not even exposed to the Bible, but just un- trying to understand people and bring the best out of people. Capturing that and writing books about it and then discovers the Bible later and just says, oh, my gosh, it's all it's all in here. And it's yeah. so true. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Listen, my friend, I love, I love the work you're doing. I love, I love how you help people. I love your curiosity, your openness to learn and grow and, and your generosity with the church. Like, thank you for what you're doing. Appreciate it, Ron. Thanks. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, likewise, you know, um, I think it's, uh, there's a, um, I don't know. I love the Jean Valjean quote. Do you like Les Mis? Do you know Les Mis at all? You musicals guy? We were a musicals family. So that's why I, I, I'm, I'm fine admitting that, you know, on a podcast, but uh, my mom loved musicals growing up. So my <laughs> sister, Christy is named after Christine from the Phantom of the Opera. And all well, my, you know, this is, gonna, my mom loves this stuff. So she's okay. Good. <laughs> so there's a Jean Valjean quote where he says, my soul belongs to God. I know I made that bargain long ago. And I, I think that's like, I, I sense that in you where it's just like, there's a, um, a sold outness where it's just like, I don't know, Lord lead me, you know, like whatever we're, whatever. I feel the same way where it's like, I'm, I'm only, this wasn't any plan of mine to like do these, to help archbishop in this way. It was just kind of, I think a long time ago, I tried to give my life to God and I've hoped ever since that he's been leading me. So, um, thank you for saying that though. The work you do matters. Getting it right matters. And uh, and so we're going to be praying for you. So thank you. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was great to talk to you today. Culture really is the strategy. And how we treat people matters disproportionately. The problem with that truth is that we can seldom see how our patterns of relating can be adding to the problem as leaders. That's where coaching can make a huge difference. If we can help, please reach out at ronhuntley.com and let's have a conversation. This episode was recorded several months ago when I was headed to a parish in Bedford. That's not the case. And actually, I'm back at St. Benedict Parish as a parishioner where this all began. Please take the time to rate the podcast five stars after each episode. Thank you and God bless. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, 
be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.